Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. And this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Let's hear God's word. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, Just a reminder, and for those who are uh, visiting today, we are working our way through Paul's epistle to the Romans. And we are at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 14. I'll begin reading in verse 5, just to give us a little more context. So Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There's a person I knew growing up, and I knew him well from the time we were children uh, to our young adult years. Um, he came from a, a loving family, but he wasn't, or it wasn't a Christian home, so he was not a believer in Christ. Uh, in fact, he only uh, went to church a handful of times growing up. Uh, he wasn't uh, a troublemaker, uh, and he did well enough in school, but the older he got, the more his life uh, showed that uh, because he wasn't a believer, he was very much a person of this world. Uh, he pursued his uh, sinful passions. Uh, he made a lot of poor decisions. Um, and he could be, at times, a fool. A fool in the biblical sense of the word. That is someone who is spiritually and morally clueless. And when this person was 23 years old, he died a sudden death. And so, of course, he has not been with us uh, for the past 30 years. And I knew this person really, really well. Uh, very well, because that person was me. 
Uh, that was me. I grew up as an unbeliever. Uh, growing up, I lived and thought uh, very much like an unbeliever. But when, by the grace of God, I came to faith in Jesus Christ, I died. I truly uh, died. I died a real death. And that person who I was apart from Christ, he is no longer in the world. And so I can look back on myself as I was then as an unbeliever. And what I see is a different person, a person who was once alive in this world, but now he is dead. And at the same time, I see myself today as someone who didn't really come to life until that old person died. When God brought me to faith in Christ, that is really when my life began. Uh, my true birth, or my, my life began not so much when I was born in the hospital, but my true life began when I was reborn, born again, born by the power of the Spirit. Now, your story as a believer in Christ, your story as a Christian and its circumstances and its details will probably be uh, different from mine, perhaps much different from mine. However, the essence of uh, every Christian's story is the same. Every Christian at heart shares the same story. It's the story of death and resurrection. It's the story of the old self being put to death and of the new self rising uh, to new life. And each one of our stories, as believers in Jesus Christ, each one of our stories is uh, essentially the same because we belong to the same Savior. We belong to the same Lord, Jesus Christ. He died and was raised to new life. And so, for you and me, his death is your death, his death is my death, his resurrection is your resurrection and my resurrection. And this is the truth. This is the truth that the Holy Spirit wills to put upon our hearts and our minds today in this passage from Scripture. The truth that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are united to Jesus, both in his death and in his resurrection. And this truth is so vital for us to comprehend, to understand, to, um, to believe with all our hearts, because you cannot truly live as a Christian you cannot truly live the Christian life until you know your story as a Christian, until you know who you are as a believer in Christ. As we look at this passage this morning, we'll, we'll consider uh, these two aspects of our union with Christ. First, or we'll consider uh, his death and resurrection. And so the first lesson from this passage will be uh, the death that you died in Christ. And the second lesson will be uh, the life that you now live in Christ. Well, I don't, <clears throat> I don't know if uh, my little story at the beginning of uh, uh, speaking about a seemingly different person fooled any of you. Um, you probably caught on pretty quickly uh, where I was going with that. But I wanted to give you uh, a sense of the reality that as Christians, we have truly uh, died a death. Uh, just as the death of a loved one or the death of a friend is, is real, it is inescapably real. It is painfully real. So your death in Christ, your death as a believer in Christ is just as real, just as irreversible, uh, just as consequential. 
Uh, listen now, the Apostle Paul in this passage, he tells us over and over again that as Christians, we have truly died. Verse two, we who died to sin. Uh, in verse three, he says that we were baptized into the death of Christ. Verse four, we were buried, therefore, with, with him by baptism into death. Verse five, we have been united with him in a death like his. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse seven, for one who has died. Verse eight, now if we have died with Christ. And we could add to these verses from this passage, uh, many other scriptures that speak of the very same thing of our having died with Christ. For example, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote that and said that we can say the very same thing. Or 2 Timothy 2.11, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And so the scripture drives this truth home to us again and again that in Jesus, we have died a death as real and significant as a person who dies a physical death. But what does this mean exactly? That we have died with Christ or that we have died in Christ? Well, to answer that question, we first need to hear what the Apostle Paul says, what the Scripture says here concerning the death of Jesus himself. And Paul speaks about the death of Jesus in verse 10. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. For the death he died, he died to sin. Well, what does that mean that Jesus died to sin? Well, one possible way to interpret that is to say that when Jesus died to sin, he died in the sense that his death takes away from us the penalty, the guilt of our sin. And of course, uh, scripture speaks of the death of Christ in this very way. First Corinthians 15, three, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Hebrews 9, 28, Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. First Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so these passages tell us, the scripture tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, he died as a sacrifice, as a substitution, his was a vicarious suffering and death on our behalf. And he did so in order to bear the guilt and the penalty, the condemnation that is ours because of our sin, because we have offended a holy and righteous God. And this is the truth about the death of Christ that we celebrate today, that we proclaim today when we come to observe the Lord's Supper, that his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. The body of Christ was broken. His blood was shed. Why? Because he, in our place, bore our sins. He bore the judgment of God that was rightfully yours and rightfully mine because of our sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died in order that our sins may be forgiven, that we can receive the gift of eternal life. And this truth, this truth that Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin, this is a glorious truth. This is a wonderful truth because this is the very foundation of our hope as Christians. However, this isn't the truth that Paul had in mind when he writes in verse 10, the death he died to sin. Paul's not talking about that death that takes away the guilt of our sin. <clears throat> but the context of this passage points us in a different direction. In this verse, that Jesus died to sin means that Jesus died to the rule, to the controlling power, to the reign of sin over us. 
But first of all, he died to the power of sin over him. It says, the death he died, he died to sin. And so Jesus died to the dominion or mastery of sin over him. But that raises the question, how can that be? How can we say that Jesus died to the power of sin over him? Because that implies, does it not, that there was some point in the life of Jesus in which he was under the power of sin, that he was under the control of sin. And we know that that cannot be. We know that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is perfectly free from all sin. And of course, this is true. From the moment of his conception to the time he ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, Jesus was the one human being who never sinned. His heart was and is completely free from any taint of corruption. He is the sinless, the spotless Lamb of God. And so Jesus wasn't under the power of sin in the sense that he sinned. However, when the Son of God became man in his incarnation, when Christ took on human flesh, he identified with us in our humanity. But he not only identified with us in our humanity and all of our creaturely weakness and frailty and so on, but Jesus also identified with us in our sinfulness. Now, Jesus was always personally without sin, but as Paul will go on to say in chapter 8 of Romans, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in this way, despite his own personal sinlessness, despite the fact that Jesus was perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, his entire life. Nevertheless, he fully identified with us in our sin. He became like us in that way. And for that reason, he willingly subjected himself to the power of sin, as though he himself were under the dominion, the control of sin. And he even took that so far in his obedience to the will of his father that he died the curse of death that we deserve, that we deserve because of our being under the power of the mastery of sin. And because in this death, Jesus died to the power of sin, it also means that he died to the power of death. And this is, some, this is something else that the Apostle Paul tells us in these verses. Look at verse 9. Uh, Paul says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so for our sake, again, when Jesus came into the world, he identified with us as, as we are as sinners. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so he willingly subjected himself to the control of the power of sin in that sense. But not only that, but he also subjected himself to the power of death. He is the author of life. Nevertheless, he subjected himself to death. And he had to do that because, as Paul says, in verse 23 of this chapter, the wages of sin is death. For the one who is under the power of sin must also be under the power of death. But praise God that when Jesus died, his death on the cross on our behalf, for us, he defeated death forever. When Jesus died, he put death to death. As the, as the poet John Donne put it, and death shall be no more, death thou shalt die. 
Jesus defeated the reign of death, the power of death over us by his willing subjection to death upon the cross. And so to get back to the question we asked, we asked earlier, what does it mean exactly that we have died to sin? It means that because Jesus, because our Lord, because he died to the power of sin and death, that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who is united to Christ by faith, you too have died to the power of sin and death over you. In Christ, you have been freed from the bondage to sin, to the, to the dominion of death over you. But Paul describes this death that we have died with Christ in verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, the old self there literally means the old man. And the old man or the old self, this is who you were apart from Christ. This is the person apart from Christ who is controlled by sin, who is under the power of sin, who lives not to please God, but to please himself and therefore is under sin's dominion. Uh, John Calvin describes the old man in this way. It is our whole nature that is our sinful nature, which we bring forth from the womb. Now, as a believer in Christ, this old man, your old self, is dead. He is dead. It's not the case that as a Christian, you are 80% new person, new self, and 20% old man or old self. As a Christian, you are 100% new self. The old man is 100% dead. He no longer lives. He has died just as surely, just as truly as Jesus himself died and was buried. And so in your entirety, you are a new self, a new man, a new creation in Christ. And Paul says in verse 6 that the old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Now, the body of sin here, there's different ways to, uh, or different people have had different understandings of what exactly this means. I believe what it means is he's referring to our physical bodies. When he says the body of sin, he's referring to our physical bodies as they are used by us in our sin as instruments for committing sin. Now, Paul is not ignoring or denying the fact that we sin with our minds as well, with our hearts. But what he's saying is that apart from Christ, when we are under the power of sin, when we are the old man, the old self, our bodies are the chief means by which that sin comes to fruition in our lives. We sin with our eyes, we sin with our mouths, we sin with our hands and our feet and so on. But when by faith in Jesus Christ, you were crucified with Christ, from then on, you no longer serve sin with your body in the way that you once did. Sin, for you as a Christian, is no longer the controlling power in your life. Uh, that's, why, uh, that's what Paul means when he says, again in verse 6, he says, The body of sin is brought to nothing. It's brought to nothing. Its power is broken. It comes to naught. And the result of all of that, in verse 6 again, is that you are no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 7, for one who has, been, for one who has died has been set free from sin. And so this is the death that you have died in Christ. You are no longer under the power of sin, under the dominion of sin. And notice that this is not a command uh, for you grammarians. This is not uh, in the imperative mood. Uh, Paul is not saying to you and to me, die to sin, put to death the old self. But what he is saying, he is declaring this truth that 
by faith in Jesus Christ, this is true of you. This is who you are. That when Jesus died, you died. The old self is dead. He is gone. And you have been raised up with Jesus Christ to new life. As surely as Jesus himself died and was buried, never to die again, so you also, once for all, forever and ever, have died to the controlling power of sin over you. This is true. This is what's true about you as a believer in Christ. And this is a wonderful truth. This is a truth that uh, we rejoice in. But there's even something better than that. And that is not only have we died to sin, not only has the old man been put, been put to death, but you and I in Christ have been raised up to new life. And that's the second lesson from this passage. The new life you live in Christ. And just as uh, these verses drive home to us again and again, this truth that we have died with Christ. So in the same way, these verses impress upon us again and again that we have been raised with Christ. We have been resurrected with him. Uh, Verse five, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Uh, Verse eight, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now, what does this mean that we live with Christ, that we have been raised up with him? Again, just as we looked at the death of Jesus and what that means for us to understand what our death in Jesus means, we need to look at the resurrection of Christ in order to understand what the resurrection, uh, our resurrection in Christ means for us. So in verse 10, the apostle says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The life he lives, he lives to God. Now, when the, Paul, when the Apostle Paul says this, that Jesus lives to God, that he now lives to God, Paul is not implying here, he's not saying that there was ever a time in the life of Jesus when he didn't live to God. Then there was never a time in the life of Christ when he was not perfectly devoted to serving God. After all, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. The entirety of his life, his being was devoted to the service of his father. Jesus, as man, perfectly served and worshipped God as we were created to do, as we were supposed to do. And so Paul is not saying that there was a time when Jesus did not live to God. But there is something new about the life of Jesus after his resurrection. There is something new about the life that he lives to God after he was raised from the dead. And what's new is that after his resurrection, Jesus was finished dealing with sin. He no longer bore the image of sinful flesh. He no longer willingly submitted himself to the power of sin and death as he did before his resurrection. But in his resurrection, Jesus was raised up in glory. And it is in this state of glory that Jesus lives to God. He is no longer the sin bearer. He is no longer the curse bearer. But he lives to God in the fullness of his divine resurrection glory. As God and man, he lives to God. But before Jesus could live to God in his glory, he had to die in obedience to God in his humiliation. But what Paul is saying here is that now, being exalted to the right hand of the Father, being done with sin, 
having accomplished the salvation for which he came into the world, having identified with us in our sin, Jesus, now the resurrected man, is in glory, and he lives to God in that sense. And what this means for you and me as Christians is this. Although our resurrection in the body is still future, we know all too well that we are waiting for that resurrection. We live in this world with bodies that are deteriorating, that are, that are weakening, that remind us constantly of the fact that one day our bodies will succumb to death. We still live in what Paul calls this mortal body. But one day our bodies will be raised from the grave. That is our hope as Christians. But even now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your inner self or the core of who you are as a person, or we might say your soul has already undergone a spiritual resurrection. You have already in Christ been raised up with him. This is the new life that Paul speaks about in Galatians 2.20. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote these words, he too was living in this same mortal body that we now inhabit. But he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So what can we say about this new life in Christ? What can we say about this truth that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given this new life. You have been raised up with Jesus. The new man lives to God in Christ. Well, if the death of our old self means that we are no longer controlled by sin under the power of sin, then therefore our new life in Christ means that we are now controlled by a new power. We are under a new master. And that power is Christ. It is the spirit of Christ as Christ lives in us by His Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of righteousness. Uh, Paul, in Romans, in chapter 8, he will say this in chapter 8, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, and this is true for every believer, that Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, that's the old man who has died, although the body is, sin because of, is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And Paul will say in the next verse that by the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us, God gives life to our mortal bodies. And what this means is that as one who has been raised up with God, as one who has been resurrected with Jesus Christ, that you now live to God as Christ lives to God. You have been given by the Spirit and with the spirits a new heart. You have been given new affections, new desires, and from this new heart springs new patterns of, of thinking and speaking, new habits, new, new actions. Now, to be sure, there is still sin dwelling in us. We have not been completely freed from the presence of sin. But, and this makes all the difference, we have been freed from the controlling power of sin over us. And so Paul will go on to say, uh, we'll see this next week, that we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We have a new power, a new master, Christ and righteousness. And so being raised up with Christ means you are fundamentally a different person from the person you were before Christ, before you knew him. That person is the old man. He has been crucified with Jesus, but you 
You are new. And the new you, the new man, the Christ in you, you, you emerged with the you emerged with Jesus from the tomb that first Easter morning, that resurrection day. And you live to God with Christ. If I can go back to my own personal story of, of my own coming to faith in Christ, uh, the people who knew me before my conversion, um, they would have seen uh, my life after I came to faith in Christ. And they probably would have thought something like, I don't know this person Who is this? I don't recognize this person. What happened to the old Scott? And I would have been able to say the old Scott is dead. Uh, This is the new Scott. Now, to be sure, um, as a new Christian, I was uh, very far from perfect, and I still am very, very far from perfect. Nevertheless, in the most important way, I was fundamentally a different person, a new person than, I, than, uh, than the person I was before. And that is true for every Christian. No matter what the details are of your own, uh, the story of God's grace in your life as a believer, you have gone from the old man to the new. You are a different person now than you were apart from Christ. And if I may add just a, a humorous uh, Anecdote. Uh, sometimes the new me uh, surprised even myself. Um, in the providence of God, I, I became a believer in Christ uh, just months before I uh, took a job uh, teaching English uh, in Japan. And if you were here uh, for uh, the missionary presentation last Sunday evening, uh, this uh, time that I went to Japan, this was a few years before I started working with the missionaries uh, over there. But I was a brand new, brand new Christian. Uh, hadn't even been baptized yet, uh, living in Japan. As you know, the Japanese love to eat sushi or raw fish, and I acquired a taste for that, and sometimes I would take some home from the store um, as, my, as my dinner. And uh, as a new Christian, uh, I began doing things that I knew Christians did. So I began praying for my meal, giving thanks to God for it. And so here I was one evening, uh, living in this foreign country, And um, I was uh, giving thanks to God uh, for my meal, praying to God, which was something uh, relatively foreign to me as well, something new to me. And I was actually, and I caught myself uh, laughing at this, but I was actually thanking God, whom I never knew before, who I never acknowledged before, but now I was giving thanks to God, not only giving thanks to him, but for this uh, dinner that consisted of raw fish. I said, this is very different. Things have really changed. This is not the person I was anymore on so many different levels. But the point is, as a believer in Jesus, you are a new person. You have been raised up with him in his resurrection. And therefore, just as Jesus lives to God, so you too live to God. Now, verses 11 through 13, the passage moves from declaring to us what is true about us in Christ Uh, to commanding us what we are to do in the light of what is true about us in Christ. Again, for you grammarians, the passage moves from the indicative mood, what is true, a statement of fact, to the imperative mood, what we must do in response to that. 
And the first thing, the most important thing, by far the most important thing that we must do, our response to this truth is, first of all, and I said this last week, not to do anything, but to know, to believe, to consider what is true about us. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, the word consider means to, uh, to reckon, to count yourself Uh, As though this is true. The word actually means uh, to calculate or to count. And so Paul is saying, do the math. Do the math. This is who you are in Christ. And consider what that means for you. Now this isn't some kind of appeal to the power of positive thinking. Uh, This isn't some sort of psychological trick by, uh, by which we convince ourselves that something is true of us, whether it may or may not be true. This isn't our daily affirmation. I am good enough. I am smart enough. I can do this. But Paul is saying, with all your heart and mind, know for absolute certain, know for certain with every, with, with, with your entire being, know that Jesus Christ died and was raised to new life. Believe it, know it, then know that you too have died and have been risen with him. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are dead to sin. You are alive in Jesus Christ. And then we are told, now that you know this, now that you have considered this, now that you have reckoned yourself as one who has died to sin, who is alive in Christ, now live like it. Live like the person you are in Christ. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This goes back to the question that, uh, in, in a way, this goes back to the question that Paul began chapter 6 with. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. If you belong to Christ, if you've been raised to Christ, if you have died to sin, how can you possibly let sin reign over you? You cannot. Let let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And so... We are called to live as those who, who, for whom this is true, that in Christ we have died that death to sin. We have been made alive with Christ. And finally, in verse 14, the last verse of our passage, Paul, he, he circles back, he brings us back around to telling us what is true, what is true for you and me. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, G- now, Paul here, the scriptures here, is speaking about the one who belongs to Christ, the believer, the Christian. So the question I want to ask you is, is your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior by faith? And then... Praise God, this is true of you. Sin is no longer your master. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. You are no longer under the law. That is, you are no longer under the condemning power of the law. The law cannot condemn you. Rather, you are under grace. You are under the gracious and loving rule of a merciful Savior. And that Savior says to you today, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Let's pray.